So we're going to be reading through the chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, So if you turn there in your pew Bibles or on the Bible that you brought, if you're looking at the pew Bible, the page number is 246. And then I also want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. We'll make a reference to that. Uh, in the sermon. So 24, 25, 26 sort of go together, and I'm going to focus in on chapter 25, and it's a rather long chapter, so you can just remain seated, and we'll think about this story about David, Nabal, and Abigail. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, And all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Param, and there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 3,000 goats, and he was shearing the sheep in Carmel. And now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men. And David said to the men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in, the name, get, greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were with us. And ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited, and Nabal answered, David's servants. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat and have kill, and that I have killed for my shears and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. Every man of them strapped on a sword, and David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David has sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he has railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when they were in the fields as long as we were with them. And they were a wall to us, both at night and day. And all the while, we're with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, this, now, now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, and he, she took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and sheep and five sheaves of grain and clusters of raisins and figs. She laid them on a donkey, and she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. 
And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all this this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed, all that belonged to him, and he was returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to Nabal. And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground, and she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for his name is so, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is within him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and, do, and, you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the cave of the, of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies shall be slung out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause. For my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you have hurried, had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice. And I have granted your petition. Let's take just a few minutes to reflect quietly on this story from God's word. I wanted to save this uh, sermon for Mother's Day. It's the hero of the story is a, a wife and probably a mother named Abigail. And I make several points here in this very kind of unusual story. And the first I want to make is... Just look with me in chapter 25, uh, verse 1. Now Samuel died. That's it. I mean, the book's named after the guy. He's probably the most important character in 1 Samuel. He's the one for 25 chapters we've been reading about. He's the one in chapter 1, Hannah. Remember Hannah, sweet Hannah, prayed for this son who would be a part of turning the whole tide of a country. 
He's been involved in every critical moment. And what would you anticipate in the book named after him for his obituary? It says, and Samuel died. I, I want to do, do a whole sermon on this, but I don't have time for two sermons this morning. But this is going to happen to everybody in this room. I don't care how great you are at this moment. I don't care how big your name is. I don't care how big the splash you make on life shore is. Ecclesiastes 1-4. Generations come and what? Generations go. And they best, the best they get is a little footnote, a little obituary in the paper that nobody reads anymore. So it's a, it's a cold splash of water on every person here to, to not waste your life making much of you, but to, to spend your life making much of the Lord. Amen? Okay, that's the sermon. That's a little tiny sermon. It's not really connected to this sermon, but it's an important little verse here. Most of us know this leadership quote, adversity does not build character. Adversity reveals character. Adversity doesn't build your character. Actually, adversity reveals your character. It's like uh, this spring, you turn on your hose for the first time, maybe for a few months. And what do you find out? Find out if under pressure there's any cracks that have formed over the wintertime, whether it's at the faucet or somewhere in the hose, but pressure has to come on. It looks fine, but you don't know. You don't know if it's fine until pressure comes on. And what we find here is pressure. This is a pressure-packed situation. And my questions for us here is, how do you respond under pressure? When the Lord opens the faucet for your life and it's pressurized, pressurized at work, pressurized at home, pressurized from some sort of internal or external event, how, how do you respond? When you were sure life was going to go this way and now you can be sure life is actually going to go this way, not your preferred way, how do you respond? You've heard the uh, acronym HALT. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, what are you supposed to do? Halt. You're supposed to stop. Hey, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired, or I'm a combination of one, or maybe you got all four working on me right now. I got to stop because if I keep moving forward under these kinds of conditions, I'm under pressure and it's likely something bad is going to happen. And so when you're in that situation, are you capable of stopping yourself? Do you, do you know when that's happening? Are you capable of not overreacting? When you're under pressure and you're tempted to do something foolish, make a foolish decision, go in a foolish direction, uh, forsake your mother's teaching, at that moment, are you able to hear a counterperspective? Or do you get so locked in in your way that even when truth comes from a mom, from a friend, from a pastor, from Abigail, you can, you can no longer hear it because you're locked in and loaded for one 
particular direction? Those are all the questions that I want to have spinning around in your mind as we look at this text. It's important to assess ourselves because everybody's going to be under pressure here. And our shining example in this passage is a woman. She's a little footnote in the whole story. Her name is Abigail. She's my second favorite character in the book behind Jonathan. And she reminds me a lot of Hannah. Hannah, uh, Abigail's like Hannah because Hannah is a small little character. She gets inserted right at the beginning. But think of uh, Hannah and Abigail as like a rudder on a great ship. What everyone sees is the ship. But what's underneath, what's unseen is this tiny little rudder that moves back and forth. And God inserts Hannah like God inserts Abigail onto these ships, these big leaders who are on stage. And they have an oversized influence for the amount of time they're in the Bible. And they've gotten attached by God's providence to these people. And they, they decide, hey, you know what? Let's go this way. And let's move this whole story in a better direction. And that's what we see here with Abigail. Now, it's helpful to just understand the the broader context here. In chapter 19 through 26, this is a a block of 10 years, basically, for David. And he's under an enormous amount of pressure. So this, this section is a great section on leadership. How does a leader respond under pressure? You remember in chapter 19, David was called to, to play music in, in front of Saul to kind of soothe his soul. And what does he get? Saul tries to run him through with a spear. Chapter 19. Chapter 20, David's still afraid of Saul. And Jonathan says, hey, I don't think you have anything to be afraid of. But then Jonathan finds out, oh, he actually does have something to be afraid of. And he goes and tells David and said, David, you need to run away. So David runs away. The first place he lands, chapter 21, is in a, in a town called Nob, N-O-B. You want to think of a monastery when you think of Nob. This is where a lot of priests are. And he goes thinking he can find shelter. He knows a couple of these guys. And he actually gets some help from the main priest. His name is Ahimelech. And Ahimelech helps David. But David realizes by being in this monastery, he's jeopardizing all the priests there. So he runs and hides in a cave. Well, somebody in the monastery is on Saul's side. So Saul comes to the monastery and asks Ahimelech, did you help David? And he said, well, I didn't know he was your enemy. I thought he was your friend. He's the one who's been fighting all these battles. And I gave him a sword and I gave him some bread. What am I supposed to do? And Saul and his goon squad with him kill 85 priests in the monastery. Saul is emotionally unhinged. When, things, when the slightest little thing doesn't go his way, he just explodes. And he makes himself actually part of a bigger problem. Chapter 24, David's still being chased by Saul. And we have really one of the most unusual little stories in the Bible. David, think of a big desert with, with rocky mountains... No, no real vegetation, but all these little caves and crags that people or animals can get into and out of. And David's running around hiding in these caves. He's doing it for 10 years. 
And he decides, hey, I got to hide in this cave. Saul's after me. So they go way down into the cave. And Saul is just out in the desert plain and decides, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Isn't that unusual that this is in the Bible? Hey, guys, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to go up this cave. Guess which cave he picks of all the caves? The one David and his men are hiding in. Isn't that amazing? So David and his men sort of scooch back into the back of the cave and they see Saul and they say, man, he's up here. He's going to the bathroom. This, is their t- this must be God's providence. He's all by himself. He's disconnected from his army. Let's go kill Saul. This is our chance. Let's not wait on God. Let's take matters into our own hands. Let's accelerate God's plan. So it's very tempting under pressure, is it not? God has a plan, but, you know, it's not quite working out like I thought because I'm under pressure, and i got to take control. i got to speed up God's plans. Very tempting. David responds very wisely. Forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. He is anointed by the Lord. He was chosen by the Lord. So why is it up to me to take him out? If he's chosen by the Lord, the Lord's going to do it in his timetable. And with these words... Chapter 24, verse 6, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Chapter 26 is basically a replay of chapter 24. It's just another sort of event. David has a chance to kill Saul. One of his men with him says, hey, this is the perfect time. I can run a spear right through him. Do not destroy him, David says. For who can put out of his hand so who who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. On this day he will come to die, or he will come to die in a battle or perish. But in other words, I'm not going to take God's matters into my own hands. I'm not going to accelerate God's plans. And so when you read through these chapter, the right these chapters, the writer intends for you to contrast the leadership style of Saul under pressure and David under pressure. Saul is completely unbalanced. He's completely emotionally unhinged. Anything that doesn't go his way, he just explodes. Meanwhile, David under incredible pressure, he's the one who's showing patience. Saul's lack of restraint actually causes him additional problems. I wonder if that's ever been true for you. We'll come back to that. Maybe you were hoping we wouldn't come back to that. If I had enough time for application, we take time just to think about, is there some place right now you're taking God's matters into your own hands? You have to think about that one on your own. Let's get to chapter 25. Chapter 25, it's like an unusual story just gets dropped down right into the middle of 24 and 26. And I think it's to show you that even David can crack under pressure. I mean, David looks great in 24. He looks great in 26. But in 25, he looks like a fool. So you don't want to think, hey, I'm the kind of person who wouldn't crack under pressure. No, everybody could crack under pressure. 
So you want to be aware of this. So let's just sort of read through this story again and we'll make some comments. First of all, in verses one through three, you find out that Nabal is wealthy. He's well known. He's a businessman, but he's a fool. His word, his name, Nabal, means fool in the Hebrew. Imagine naming your son fool. Well, so, it, so his name, so is he, his wife says later in the passage. But he has one good thing going for him, and that is Abigail. She's discerning, she's beautiful, and she's the hero of the story. Now, while Nabal was back home running his business, his business was shepherding. And he wasn't doing the shepherding. His men were. Well, to do the shepherding, you got to go out in the hill country. And who's out in the hill country hiding? David. And David and his men acted like a wall around Nabal's flock, it says. They were the ones that helped us, the shepherds. They helped protect. They did a lot of work for us. David knew this. And then when it came time to shear the sheep and kill them, David thought, well... Maybe just as a favor, we're all starving out here in the, in the desert. Maybe I'll send some men, and because we've done so much free work for this businessman, he'll give us a free meal. Seems like a reasonable request. But then we see Nabal's response, verses 10 and 11. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Now, he knows David. He knows David. You know he knows David because he says, who is the son of Jesse? Whoops, I guess I do know David because I know his father. And then notice what he says. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. See, he knows. He knows what's happening. David's out on the run. He's breaking away from Saul. Shall I, now notice this, notice Nabal's foolishness. Shall I take what? My bread my water, my meat that I have killed from my shears. So you know you're foolish if you're using my a lot. And here's this self-centered businessman who's all about himself. And he's greedy. Now my question for us right here is, how do you respond to a fool? You might be saying, I need to know that because I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to have to have a conversation with a foolish boss. How are you supposed to respond to a fool? Proverbs 26. You can look at this. Answer not a fool according to his folly. All right, you get that? This is a book of wisdom. You encounter a fool, he says foolish thing, just walk away. Why? Because if you start getting engaged, what's going to happen to you? You're going to look like a fool, right? That's exactly what he says. Answer not a fool according to his fight, lest you be like him yourself. Don't, don't get involved in that foolishness. Don't, don't lower yourself down into that kind of conversation. The very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly. Well, okay, hold on. Now, you just said, answer not. And now, in the very next verse, I mean, have you forgotten what you just wrote? Now, it's answer a fool, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I mean, I can't let this foolish guy go on because he's going to think he's right. So, somebody has to tell him what to do. How are you supposed to know what to do? It's a wisdom issue. 
Sometimes you're supposed to answer a fool. Sometimes you're not supposed to answer a fool. That's what the wisdom is saying. You, you can't, we can't navigate every possible situation. We're just saying when you're on the ground, when it's happening, you have to say to yourself, is this the time I should step forward and answer a fool? Or is this time I need to back up? Well, David should have backed up, but instead he answers the fool and he becomes foolish himself. Look at chapter 25, verse 12. So David's young men turn away. They come back and tell David that they've basically been turned away from the feast. And David said to his men, every man strap on a sword. Okay, just warning, warning, warning. This isn't starting out good. Everybody get a sword. I'm getting my sword on 400 of us. Let's head on and find Nabal. And then look with me in chapter, uh, in verse um, 21 and 22. Surely in vain have I guarded all this, fe- all, the fe- all this fellow has in the wilderness. He hasn't missed anything. He's returning evil for good. Verse 22, God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by the morning I leave so much as Nabal alive. Isn't that what you would anticipate? But you got to notice, what does he say? Any male belonging to Nabal. See what's happening? Who, who is David turning into? You're supposed to notice this. He doesn't just want to kill the one person. He, want to kill, he wants to kill everybody connected. Who's he turning into? Saul. Saul didn't just put to death Ahimelech. A, a he put to death everybody connected. And here David is starting to act like a fool. He's, un, he's unwound. He's got 400 men coming with him to put to death this fool. Now we have two problems. We have Nabal's foolishness and we have David's overreaction. Now this is such a key point. And you, you know this and you can think of many times. I wish we had time just to give testimony for you right now. How many times has your reaction to the problem become bigger than the problem itself? How, many, how much pain would you have not entered into if you just hadn't overreacted? You ever done that? There's kind of a small problem and somebody needs to say something, but you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, and you jump in and you say things with energy and fire and now we have two problems. The real problem and you, you being a fool. And so many times your foolish overreaction actually overwhelms the real problem. And that's exactly what we have. Nabal, he's a fool. But he's been a fool all his life. He's probably acted like this hundreds of times. But David takes 400 men with him and he's not just going to put Nabal to death. He's going to put to death every male that's connected to him. Now inserted into this boiling cauldron of male ego and overreaction, who does God send? One discerning, beautiful woman. Like a tiny little rudder. She's only on the stage just one little brief moment. And on the stage is Samuel and Saul and David, and they're trying to drive the story forward. 
But at some points, they're all going to act foolish. And so God inserts this tiny little woman, just attaches herself at one moment, says, David, let's go this way. And the whole story changes. I think that's amazing. I love Abigail. I want you to love Abigail. She gives these two men who are now acting like, both acting like fools. She gives them a PhD in leadership. So the greatest leader in this passage is Abigail. And just notice what she does. She finds out that Nabal's foolishness has gotten him into trouble again. No doubt this has happened many times. And she finds out about David's anger. And all these men are coming down from the mountains. And they're going to kill her, her husband. And now notice her tactics. Verse 18. She sends food ahead. So, so savvy. What do these guys want? They're hungry. So let me, let me just satisfy their need first. This is a great leadership thing. I wish, I wish this was iron leadership. We just talk about it, that right now. But this is such a great little leadership moment. I know they have a felt need, and it's really no problem for me to meet that felt need. So once I meet that felt need, then, then they're going to relax. The heat's going to dissipate. And maybe I can engage in a conversation. So very savvy. She sends food ahead. She's beginning to lower the temperature on the com- com- conversation. Number one. Then notice this, verse 23, very critical. When Abigail saw David, she hurried. She got down from the donkey. And she fell down before David on her face. And bowed down to the ground. So, so critical. David, David is acting like a fool. And yet she's the one who acts humbly. Now let's think about where this happened. This is a beautiful little moment, is it not? Think about where this happened one other time in the Bible. It's a critical moment, critical leadership moment, and everyone in the room is acting like a fool. And the one person who's not acting like a fool gets down on his knees and bows down before the fools. That's the upper room. All these men are acting like fools. I'm the greatest. I know what's going to happen. They're all acting like fools. The one person who's not a fool, what does he do? He puts on a towel. He bows down. So Abigail gives us a tiny little shadow of Jesus. That's what I love about Abigail. She tells us something about how you and I... Now look, when you're hot, when you're white hot, it's very hard to be humble. That's the hardest moment, but here she's displaying to David what he should be doing. Verse 25, she says, look, third thing she does, I know my husband, he's a fool. So I'm just going to agree with your premise. See what I've done? I, I have melt a fet, melt a, met a felt need, number one. Number two, I've acted humbly. Number three, I've agreed with your premise. All these things, lowering the temperature in your home, 
lowering the temperature in your argument with your spouse, your child, your boss, your neighbor, your sister, your brother. All these things you're taking on, you're lowering the temperature so that you can actually get to the truth, which is 28 through 31. And let's read that together. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, Nabal, or make uh, David, a sure house. Look, we all know about you, David. The Lord's with you. He's going to make you a sure house. He's going to... He's going to fight your battles. You don't need to fight your battles. And and no evil shall be found in you as long as you live. Verse 28. If men rise up to pursue you, they seek your life. What are they going to be like? The end of the verse. They're going to be like enemies that are slung out from from a sling. Now when she says that, what do you think David's thinking of? Yeah, David and Goliath. And when the Lord has done all this to, to my Lord, when Yahweh, God, has done everything, all these things to David, according to all the good that God has spoken, she's reminding him of God's promises. He's going to appoint you to be prince over Israel. When you become the prince, then no grief of pangs or conscience for having shed blood without cause And you won't have to worry about having taken vengeance for yourself. Such a critical little passage here. Number one, she reminds David that the Lord will make him king. She's just reminding him of the promises of God. Number two, she's saying, will you remember back when your sling slung out an enemy? And know that God is going to fight for you. You don't have to come down in verse 31. You don't have to take vengeance yourself. You can let God be in charge. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't accelerate God's judgment. Now, what's one of the remarkable things here is Abigail gives the same advice David gives to his men in verse 24 and 26. I mean, chapter 24 and 26. Remember his men? They're all heated. They're ready to go. He says, guys, the Lord's got this. Abigail comes in and says, you know what, David? I'm just going to tell you what you just tell your men. The Lord has this. Don't, don't do this. And then David's, David's response. Before I get that, just try to imagine the picture. I would love to see this in a movie. 400 hungry, angry, lonely, tired men with a sword running down a mountain. They're going to kill one fool and his family. Inserted one little woman on a donkey. And she stands there like the power of God and holds back the army of wrath for a fool. Where else do you see that in the Bible? One humble person inserts themselves against wrath on behalf of a fool. That's Jesus. God's righteous wrath as the king is coming toward fools. And who are the fools? Raise your hand. Yeah, you and me. 
but he inserts himself. See, Abigail's this tiny little shadow. She stands between the king and a fool. And did you notice what she says? This is such a critical verse. Verse 26, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. That's the gospel right there. Great turning point. David reacts with humility. Your judgment is better than mine. I mean, try to, try to imagine how helpful this is for David that he sees himself and he says, you know what, ma'am, your judgment is better than mine. He's having to say this in front of his whole army. Verse 33, your wisdom should prevail over my passion. You've saved me from myself. Verse 35, I obey your voice. What a powerful statement by David. He's, he's going full steam ahead, but yet still when advice comes in, he's somehow able to hear it. Are you, you able to hear it? Ten days after this moment, Nabal dies. Just 10 days later, God takes care of it. Is there some place you're inserting yourself? Just wait 10 days. God will take care of it. Abigail is one of my favorite characters. She's wise, she's courageous. She inserts herself in critical little moments. She's not, she's not well seen on the stage. She's not the biggest character. But she comes in, she inserts a little piece of wisdom, and she shapes a man's life, a nation's life. That's what a good mom does. Most moms don't think I get very much time on the stage, right? Mom goes for one last piece of apple pie, and guess what? Pie's gone. Mom goes downstairs hoping it's all cleaned up. Guess what? It's not all cleaned up. Mom's the last one in, first one out. But moms have a chance to insert themselves at little moments can steer your whole family. Can steer a life of your whole son or daughter in a totally different direction. So thank you, moms, for being like Abigail, and thank you, Abigail, for showing us Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you are opening up the heavens, literally, and pouring down much needed rain on thirsty ground and it is not lost on us that that's what you're doing inside this room as well there are some people that are fools here all of us in need of a savior to stand in front of a king in his wrath and say hey can all the gre- all the all your wrath fall on me instead of the fool. There are some people here currently that are acting like Nabal, greedy, foolish businessman or woman. 
Some of us are like David at this moment. We're overreacting to a situation and we're making the situation worse. Would you send uh, Abigail our way in terms of a sermon, a mom, a person, and would we have ears to hear? Would you move this story in your direction, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.